five-month period of enforced lockdown, I started to think a lot about... And I, I was um, actually sharing with Francois this morning that I think there's like a spiritual element to COVID. People I know who've been infected by COVID have been, have been more miserable and down than normal. Does that make sense? There's something about it that seems to really depress you. And I went through a period of, of depression and feeling sick and miserable. And how many of you know when you're sick, it's all about you, isn't it? Um, the, the, one, the one thing, I, I got a double dose. I got COVID and man flu at the same time. And it was ugly, I'll tell you. It was, you know, there's not much more miserable than a man with man flu. And um, when I was sitting there thinking about, about how uncomfortable it was and all this sort of stuff... I lost sight of the many blessings God's given us because I was just sick and miserable. Can you relate to that? Has anybody here experienced that? And I felt the Lord during my time of, of going through this, I felt the Lord was saying to me, you need to start to give thanks. You need to start to discover what contentment is because we live in probably the most uncontented society in the history of the world. And uh, I believe God has a lesson for us in our attitude and it's not about what's around it's about what's in here and what's in here and uh, then he led me to to the book of Philippians if you've got a Bible there if you can open to Philippians chapter 4 we'll spend a little bit of time there this week Philippians is a great it's a great book they call it the 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 book of um the book of joy and yet I pause to think about it Paul actually wrote the book of Philippians while he was in prison awaiting execution and here's this incredible book of joy written by a guy who was in prison awaiting execution. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Let me read it for you. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Not contentious. Do you notice he didn't say contentious? He said content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Lord, I pray that you would just open your word to us this morning, that you would speak to us. Even though many of us feel weak, we feel flat, we feel down. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us out of your word this morning, that you would strengthen us because we can do all things through him who strengthens us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Interesting, Christians will often quote verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But they forget the context is that Paul's saying, I can go without. I can be smashed and battered, and, 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 but still I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So I said, we live in an age of great discontent. In fact, we are probably the most blessed generation in history. Did you know that? We really are. But there is, there are, you know, people are so discontent and we have so much. I don't want to sound old, but how many of you found yourself saying, well, back in my day, we didn't have this and that and whatever. And, but, but we have so much today, but we are just, we're so discontent. And there is a whole industry that's been built up over you being discontent. That's what marketing does. The marketing industry says, they don't want you to be content with what you've got. They want you to want more. And so, they, so, for example, if you have a nice car, they'll tell you you need a newer car. If you have a, a, a good computer that, that works well, you need a faster one. If you have a nice phone, you need a 5G one. 
If you have a, a, a husband or a wife, you need a younger one or a more shapely one or a less naggy one. We, we breed discontent in our society because that's what makes, our, what makes the money side of society work. They don't want you to be content. And we have so much in this modern world to be happy about and to be blessed about, and yet we are so discontent. <coughs> During my um, enforced compulsory lockdown, uh, I watched a little bit of TV, and I was watching a TV show from the 90s, it was set in the 1940s. And, uh, and then I watched another one in the 1960s and 70s. And what struck me was they don't have any of the things we now take for granted. So, for example, the guy's out, he's got a call back to base, call back to the office. He's looking for a phone booth. Now, have you forgotten what a phone booth even looks like? That's one. Now, we, we think phone booths are only useful for sort of being transported places in Doctor Who. But they once had an actual purpose. There were phones inside there and you could go in and you could, you could dial people up on the phone, you know. But we don't do that anymore because we have cell phones. And so wherever we are, we can stay in touch. And you have, just look at your phone for a minute. You know, I know many of you who have it. We, we don't go anywhere without a phone mostly. But if you look at you hold in the palm of your hand with your phone more computing power than what sent men to the moon. In the palm of your hand. It's incredible. We are so blessed with technology. It's amazing. I remember when I was overseas um, on mission trips. Um, so who's been going on mission trips for more than, say, 15, 20 years? Yeah, a few of you? Yeah. Um, now we all feel old, don't we? Um, I was overseas on, on a mission trip and I remember I wanted to call home and I had to go to the post office or something over there and I had to book a call and then you had to sit down and wait and then after 10 or 15 minutes they would come and get you and say, uh, Mr. Brown, yes, yes, we've got a call and then you had to connect and then they had to accept the... Ch- and it was a huge rigmarole. And now when you're on a mission trip, you've got a phone, you just find free Wi-Fi at Macca's and you're away. You can video chat to people. You can see one another. The technology is incredible, yet we are not, we are not more content. Strangely, you think we, with a better life and more comfort, you would think that we would be more content, but we're actually experiencing more discontent than ever before. Summer is not my favorite time because it's hot, and uh, I don't particularly like hot. But with air conditioning, you don't notice it as much. How many of you have air conditioning in your car or your house? Right. But it wasn't so long ago that no houses had air conditioning. That, that, that cars, air conditioning in cars, was winding the windows down. And WD-40, there you go. The, the windows down 40 miles an hour, thank you. WD-40, I love it. So, you know, we have so much and yet we are so discontent. Now, I want to share with you a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6. <coughs> Keep your finger in Philippians and we'll go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Because this is a verse that our modern society can barely comprehend. Listen to this. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That does not work in our modern world at all. 
because they want you to have more and more they want you to have bigger and better they never want you content back in the days when uh, for those who are unvaxxed when we could all go to restaurants um, back in those days there was a lot of whining and dining used to go and you know you go to a fine restaurant and there'd be whining and dining fine wine and there'd be the be you know something nice to eat but now I fear that we are whining and dining, but in a different way. We, ha- we are so well fed with everything wonderful that is around, but we are whining all the way, whining and complaining. And, we- and-, and I fear that-, that we as Australians are becoming a nation of whingers. Like, and I think it's probably a society of whingers too. Think about it. If you think back, back in the day, if you went to a restaurant and you didn't like the service and you didn't like the food, you said to yourself, I'm not going back there true you didn't make a hoo-ha about it you didn't get excited or get vocal about it you didn't throw plates you said i'm not going back there but in today's society if someone goes to a restaurant and doesn't like them they get on the internet and they try and and leave a one-star review and they leave a scathing comment and they try and hurt that business and they try and they try and bring that business down because they didn't have a good experience we are a nation i hate to say it because I'm an Aussie, but we are a nation of whinges at times. And I think that, that there is a level of discontent in our society that we need to, as Christians, stand against. And you see it everywhere. And even churches suffer. We've become, you know, a, a community of Christian consumers rather than committed family members. We go to church and we say, well, what, is it entertaining today? Did I like that message? Did, was I entertained? Was the band good? You know, we should be a church family, folks. And guess what? Families have, you know, they're never perfect. If you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. (laughs) Families always have some sort of blemish. There's always a weird uncle or, you know, some crazy cousin or something, you know. But you love them because they're family. And that's what church should be like. We're not consumers. We're family. Philippians 2 verses 14 to 15 so we're back in Philippians, Paul writes this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Ouch. That, that, that does not work in our modern society, does it? People want to grumble and dispute everything. If you say the world is round, they'll say it's flat. If, if you say black is black and white is white, they'll say, no, they'll say no, white is black. People argue and complain and dispute about everything. Paul writes, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. Well, in this twisted generation, I believe the people of God to a large extent aren't shining because we're busy complaining and criticizing like the rest of the world. And this this is our moment to be able to be different to be able to give thanks we sang that old song but I I can't think of a song that's been written that says the same thing as well as that to give thanks with a grateful heart so let me ask you a question has God let you down well people would say no but many people would say well yeah sometimes he seems to even I even hear Christians and 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 unbelievers saying, "Well, God's let me down. God, they feel like God's abandoned them or, or or failed them or disappointed them in some way." Then the writer to the Hebrews writes in Hebrews thirteen five, "Be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave us nor forsake us.'" 
but sometimes we feel let down. If we're discontent, we'll feel like God has left us. If we feel like, he, we'll feel like he's let us down if we are discontent. Discontentment sees many of us angry at God, especially unbelievers. They're very discontent and they're often very angry at God, even though they're in situations of their own making or doing, usually. Um, love that verse in Proverbs 19, verse 3. It says this, When a man's folly brings his way to ruins, his heart rages against the Lord. Doesn't that sum our society up? When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, he doesn't blame himself, his heart rages against the Lord. When God didn't have anything to do with it, he made his own decisions. There are two ways in this life to not be disappointed. One, have no expectation at all, then you'll never be disappointed. Or two, have total expectation and trust in God, and then you also will never be disappointed. Let me talk about the illusion of contentment. What are we being sold? What, what, what are they actually peddling here? Why, why is it that we are being sold this lie that if we just got a little more, we'd be content? Many people think the cure for discontentment is to have more. The more I have, the more content I will be. But it's an illusion, folks. It's like a mirage. You can't touch it. It doesn't actually exist. The reality is the more you get, the less satisfied you actually become. Isn't that incredible? Because Why? Because the more you get, the more you want. Arthur Schopenhauer said this, Wealth is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. Now, I'm not saying wealth is bad. Wealth is, you know, wealth is great if it's used effectively. But it's, it's human nature to just want more and more and more. It's sinful nature to want more and more, but it's not God's nature. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And if you look around at this world, the richest people in the world are often the most dissatisfied. John D. Rockefeller was regarded as the richest man in history in his day. He was once asked, how much money is enough? And he answered, just a little bit more. Charles Spurgeon said this, you say, if I had a little more, I should be satisfied. You make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it was doubled. See, that's the illusion right there. The illusion of contentment is thinking that if you only had more, you'd be more content but it doesn't. It actually fuels your discontent. It doesn't help it. Many people seem to have everything. Famous people, you see them, you know, on TV and that sort of stuff. They seem to be so successful, so rich. They have everything they want, and yet they're often the most miserable people around. So, if you think of the word disappointment, I want to change one letter, because if you change the letter uh, just pop it up here on the, on the screen, please, Jesse. If you change the first letter of disappointment, change the D to a H, what have you got? His appointment. See, it only takes one letter to change it. See, disappointment, you, his appointment. You change one letter and you'll see the truth of it. Your disappointments, you may feel disappointed with God. That may feel real to you. I've experienced it too. So say over the last week or so, I felt really, really down with this COVID thing going on. You feel really down and flat. But then I looked at disappointment. I realized if I change one letter, I see the truth. It's his appointment. They'll say the higher your expectations, the greater your potential, uh, your potential disappointment. 
But we are discontent not because we don't have enough. We are discontent because we don't have our eyes focused on the right thing. That's why we're discontent. And we feel like we're getting a raw deal. We feel like we're unfairly treated. How many of you have felt that feeling recently? You feel like you're not being treated fair. I get that a lot. I feel that a lot. Dennis Holy is an American TV host, said this. I love this. Listen to this. Expecting the world to treat you fairly because you're a good person is a little like expecting a bull not to attack you because you're a vegetarian. (laughs) I love that. So if you don't want to experience any discontent in your life, any disappointment in your life, you either lower your expectations to zero and have a miserable life or you can totally depend on God and trust Him no matter what. (coughs) If you trust God no matter what, you will never be disappointed. If you totally trust in Him and live for Him, you can learn the incredible secret of contentment. See, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes, the godliness with contentment is great gain. What is he talking about? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's look at the verse, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. Listen to what he writes. Paul says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He does not say money is the root of all evil, because it's not. If you think money's evil, if you think it's bad, you give it to me, I'll show you how godly we can make it. Because money's just neutral. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. I hope that you are wealthy in your life. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's the love of money. It's when you love money more than you love God that that's when you will, it, it will cause all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, Paul writes, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, true contentment is never having everything you want. It's never getting more money, more things, more relationships. It's also never not having problems. People say, well, if I just didn't have problems, I'd be content. No, you wouldn't. Godly contentment is, is outside of everything that happens around you because it's based inside of you. True contentment is God living within you. That's how you become content. You focus on him, His Spirit within you. Contentment doesn't come and go. Have you ever noticed like you have a good day and you feel happy and you're content and then you have a bad day? What, you never have bad days here? What's wrong with you? I have bad days. You know, and sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down and contentment is constant. Joy is constant. Joy doesn't depend on our circumstances. Josh uh, pokes fun at me when I say this, but I, I, I quote Bill Newman in this one. You say to people, how are you doing in life? And they say, pretty good under the circumstances. And you say, well, what are you doing under there? You should live above the circumstances because... You see, contentment is not dependent on your circumstances and joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Joy and contentment are intertwined. And Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you are not experiencing strength in your Christian life, chances are you've lost joy. How do you regain joy? How do you get joy back? That's the question. Now, I've been intrigued. I, I 
read the Bible a lot and there's a verse in Proverbs that seems to cut against everything we believe in the 21st century. Listen, I, this is a really interesting verse, Proverbs 30, so verses 7 to 9 actually, says this, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove one, remove far from me falsehood and lying, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. What's he saying there? He's saying, <coughs> he's talking about contentment. God, don't give me too much stuff because then I'll focus on that and say, who is the Lord? Because I'm focusing on that. But don't leave me too little because then I'd have to steal to live and that would profane your name. Just give me, This is like God and Goldilocks and the three bears. You know, it's, it's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. And contentment is living in that just right zone. It's not about having stuff, it's not about having a, a trouble or a stress-free life. Contentment is built on trust and trust depends on how well you know God. And what he's saying is, Lord, give me enough to live, but not too much. Do you pray that? I don't pray that. I tend to pray, Lord, I want more, if we're honest. But he's saying, what you can say is, Lord, give me enough to live and not too much. What he's saying is, I'm going to focus on you and be content no matter what happens, no matter what goes down. So let's just finish up by learning the secret of contentment. Paul wrote, if you get back to Philippians 4, he wrote these words. I'm going to say them again. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. One of my issues, and I, I don't know if you think about this yourself, but one of my issues with, with some of the uh, prosperity stuff that goes around, one of my issues with it is that it, it pretty much says, if you're going to really be, be successful and prosperous, then you've got to have a lot of money. So it, the implied thing is that if you're poor, then you don't have a lot of faith. And I think that's wrong. Because I think whether you're poor or rich materially doesn't matter. It's a dangerous heresy, I believe. He, God wants us to realize that our financial status is not reflect, a reflection of our godliness. In fact, the real, reality is the more I concentrate on heavenly riches, that's when I become more godly, not on earthly riches. But contentment cannot be achieved in this physical world. You just, I'm not the first one to say this, but I can't get no satisfaction. But I try, and I try, and I try, you know. He's got a bigger mouth than me, but the point's the same. We can't get no satisfaction. Why? Because we are never satisfied because we are not content. Job went through a horrible time, as you know, if you've read the book of Job, intense suffering. But he says in Job chapter 1, verse 21, when everything he cared about had been taken from him, he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That is contentment. When everything you have, everything you love, everything you care about is taken from you, but you can still say, God gave, he took it away, may the name of the Lord be praised. And I believe that's what God's calling us to, to right now. Our society is full of discontentment, but if we want to shine like stars in the night, 
then we need to be the ones who say, may the name of the Lord be praised no matter what. We need to be the ones who say, though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the olive crop fails and uh, the land produces no food, though there's no cattle or oxen in the stables, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Because our joy, our contentment is not dependent on what we have or don't have. It's dependent on our relationship with Him. So if you are, are, are down or flat or miserable or, or lonely or in despair, this doesn't mean God's mad at you. I believe this is your opportunity to realign and focus back on Him. I tell you, I had to do that this week. I got really down and flat and miserable. We have seen so many miracles in this church. We've, we've seen God provide tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars in miracles. We've seen people here. We've seen amazing things happen. But in all of, all of my sickness and feeling, I took my eyes off that and I just concentrated on my own despairing flesh. And God said to me, hey, you've got to take your eyes off that and put them back on me. And when I did that, I could sense my heart begin to lift. Because we are, made, we are destined for another place, folks. This is not it. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. And keep our focus on Him, not on the things we have or do not have. You know, it, this, I believe that if we can get this right, folks, this is our opportunity to shine on a level that we've never been able to shine before. Because this whole country is out there. They're busy being miserable and discontent and fighting and attacking one another. And this is our moment to shine for Jesus. By being the ones who are different. By being the ones who say, no matter what goes on, I give thanks with a grateful heart. It's what God's calling us to. But the world keeps dragging us back to talk about wealth and to talk about the things we haven't got. There were two kids watching a funeral of a wealthy businessman one day. They're sitting on a hill watching the funeral procession go down the road. This wealthy businessman. And one kid said to the other, uh, so, so whose who's funeral is that? The other one said, well, that's, that's the local millionaire. And the, the first one said, Really? How much money did he leave? And the other one said, all of it. Because that's what happens. We leave all of it. We get so discontent with what we have and haven't got here, we, 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 get, we lose it. We need to realize that we trust in the Savior and keep our eyes fixed on Him. Now, forgive me for indulging in football for a moment because I am a, a football fan, but I want to talk about, if we can have the next slide up, please, Jesse. I want to talk about something called VAR, Video Assisted Referees. Now, there's a, there's a reason behind this. Um, this is what they're brought in now in the Premier League and other, all football codes are around the world, trying to figure out if someone's offside. So what they do is, is they draw lines on like that and so they, 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 they have a, a still and they, they draw. So when, the, when a goal is scored, sometimes they say, well, hang on a minute, we're going to check it with VAR and they go up to the, 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 the guys, you know, the eye in the sky who looks at it all and draws lines on it to see if they were... So, so this one, for example, here, right, you see his hand is actually in front of the line, therefore it's offside. That's, how, that's the level they're getting to. Now, this has caused a lot of frustration because a lot of times when they're, when they're passing the ball through, the guy's just borderline, oh, is, he, is he in or is he out? And sometimes there's like a, there's like a toenail. See this, this one here? There's like a toenail is over and they cancel the, the, the goal out because they say his toenail was offside. This is, they're getting very pedantic about this. 
And so people were getting quite upset about this. So the, the officials are meeting at the moment and they're talking about coming up with a way that would make it sort of more user-friendly to, to let more goals through. And what they figured out, this is the interesting thing, what they figured out was that if we make the lines bigger, it won't be as accurate and we'll let more through. And so they're talking at the moment about blurring the lines a little, making them larger, so you can't see if his foot is, if his toenail is in front of the other one because the line's larger, it's not tight, it's, it's larger. Isn't that interesting? Thought you'd be fascinated with that. But that's what discontentment does. It blurs the lines so we can't see what really is in and what really is out. And it blurs the lines in particular between a need and a want. You see, I might want a 65-inch TV, but I don't need it. I might want the latest phone, but I don't need it, you see? But we are told, oh, no, you do need this. Because if you haven't got 5G, the world will cease to exist. Well, that's not true. You know, not having material things, uh, not that having material things is wrong, but the question we have to ask ourselves is, would we be content if we didn't have it? Could we keep living? Could we get by without these things that we are so driven to to get i heard a quote one time says the itch for the things is a the itch for things is a virus draining the soul of contentment you thought covid was big this is bigger this is called affluenza and it afflicts all of us and it causes more damage than covid ever will because it's about greed but see ultimately too it's about choice we have a choice whether whether we're going to become discontent or not if everything's going wrong, if you can't get that job, if you can't get that place you want, if you can't get that car you want, we have a choice. We can choose to get down and discontent about it or we can choose to rise above. It's our choice. Ultimately, we make a decision. We don't have to be miserable, you know, like the rest of society. We don't have to be miserable and down because we can't travel or we can't go to restaurants or we have to wear a mask in Woolies. You know, it, ultimately, we can choose whether we're going to be discontent or not. It is our choice. And many of the things we are told are luxuries, or are necessities, are really just luxuries. You can live without them. The endemic discontent and complaining in our society is because we don't get our way, not because we can't survive. We can choose our attitude towards, we can choose whether we're going to be content or not. I heard about an experiment you might have heard me share this before, but I, I just love this one. They've got two little boys. One was the eternal optimist, one was the eternal pessimist. And they put them in two separate rooms. And in the pessimist room, the little boy's room, who was the pessimist, they gave him everything you could possibly want. There was like video games and ice cream and pizza and music. It was fantastic. And in, in, the, in the little optimist room, there was a big pile of horse manure in the middle of the room. And they locked the doors <coughs> and they came back in a couple of hours. Well, they open up the pessimist door and the kid's crying. What's wrong? He's, oh, I was playing this game, my character got killed and then the ice cream melted into the controls and it's just terrible. And they open up the optimist room and here's this kid in there throwing horse poo all around the room. They said, what in the world are you doing? He said, with all this horse poo, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere, you know. <laughs> you can choose how you're going to see society. You can choose how you're going to react to things. You can choose. Contentment is a choice. True contentment is Philippians 4. Let me read it again. 
Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Benjamin Franklin said, contentment makes the poor man rich. Discontentment makes the rich man poor. And the thing about discontentment is it is never satisfied. It will never be fulfilled. Contentment, on the other hand, is always satisfied and always fulfilled. And as Paul says, when you combine godliness with contentment, there is great gain. I'm at peace when I don't get what I want. I'm okay when a non-necessity gets broken. I'm content with the basics and I will appreciate it more. When I get a few blessings along the way, you appreciate them more because you're content no matter what godliness with contentment is great gain contentment gives us a gratitude attitude and paul just a few verses later writes this verse 19 in philippians 4 and my god will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in christ jesus we take that verse and we say oh i've got needs god you better honor you know god you better honor this verse you said you're going to supply all my needs. we forget that it's linked to just a few verses earlier, which says, I know what it is to abase and abound. I know what it is to have a lot and have nothing. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, and my God will supply all my needs. Learning to be content in our COVID world, I believe, is a key to great godliness. And it makes us shine like stars because everyone around us is vocally discontent. You'll either let your external circumstances mold your attitude or your attitude will rise above the external circumstances. So Paul wrote those words in Philippians while he was sitting in jail. He didn't write them about freeing himself. He didn't write them about feeling comfortable. He could say godliness with contentment is great gain because he knew that great gain personally and his name was Jesus Christ. And he had the Spirit of God living within him. And it didn't matter if he was physically in pain or, or mentally in anguish or lonely or fearful or unjustly persecuted. He knew that if he was in Christ, he could be content. He could be happy. He could be fulfilled. So the secret of contentment, folks, it isn't pretending that everything's okay. It's accepting that even though everything is not okay, that you will be okay because you have Jesus. That's the secret to contentment. And what and who we choose to focus on will determine our attitude in dealing with, with um, our less than admirable circumstances. Uh, last winter, and uh, I, I really enjoy winter. Does anybody like winter up here? Yeah, it's a beautiful time. Those of you who have moved from Melbourne, it's, uh, it's way better up here in winter, way better. Just saying. Um, but last winter I sat on my veranda and there was a little willy wagtail came along and he's whistling away, whistling away. And it was a cold morning, but there he was, happily whistling away. Didn't think anything of it. Next morning, I got out there. It was much warmer. Same willy wagtail, whistling away. <whistles> you know. Then the next day, it was raining. There he is in the rain, whistling like crazy, loving it. And I realized that he's just going to whistle. Doesn't matter if it's raining or cold or hot or shine. Or, he doesn't care because his contentment, his whistling, is not dependent on his circumstances. He just keeps doing it. Let me ask you, can we sing? Can you and I sing the praises of God in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all the illness, in the midst of all the tragedy we see? Can we choose to sing? Yes, we can. 
we can be the only ones who are actually and truly content. The people of this world, they'll, they'll never be content and they're not content, but we can be because t- contentment is not in what we, we you know, have around us. Contentment is found in Him. I know how to be brought low, how to abound. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. True biblical contentment is a conviction that Christ's power, purpose and provision is sufficient for every circumstance, bar none. I believe that we, like Paul, we can learn to be content. And our society wants us to not be content, but we need to have a gratitude attitude. How do we do this? How do we do How can we be content when all around us is so bad? The secret's out. Colossians 3 verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Matthew 6 says this, Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things are given to you as well. That's the secret to contentment, that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, not on our circumstances. Anxiousness is not contentment, and it's not faith, but, but we still go through these, so we're still human. And I don't know about you, but I, I've been pretty flat over the last couple of weeks pretty miserable over the last couple of weeks and I had to get on my knees and say Lord I decide right now I make the choice to put my eyes back on you to focus on you and not on my problems and not on my discomfort and not on what I haven't got I put my eyes back on you and that's my challenge to you this morning this morning's message has come from being discontent because I was sick and I was down and I was flat But I'm telling you, I'm going to keep my eyes firmly fixed on Christ. And I want to challenge you to do the same. And the reality is sometimes that's hard, isn't it? When things go wrong, sometimes we get a bit miserable. We don't have a gratitude attitude. Things things buffet us and, and, and attack us from all sides and we feel really sort of, you know, pushed down. I think of the the father of the demonized boy in Matthew chapter 9. He says this, I do believe, help my unbelief. (laughs) I love that verse. Because that sums it up. I want to believe, but I struggle with unbelief. I do believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe that this morning, God is calling us to a gratitude attitude. So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I want us to, to give thanks with a grateful heart. And to thank God for the many, many, many blessings we have. We are not alone. We are not in despair. We're not pushed down or overcome or overwhelmed. We're sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And we need to remember that, to focus on Him and have a gratitude attitude. Would you bow your head? Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts. I know this morning, Lord, you've been really touching on a gratitude attitude. And as a people, as people of God, as individuals, we don't always have a gratitude attitude. Sometimes we focus on the negative. Sometimes we focus on our circumstances. But Lord, I pray that you would shift our gaze right now and put it firmly on Jesus Christ.
the author and perfecter of our faith. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to join with me. Say these words. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my discontent. I'm sorry for my ingratitude. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I choose to focus my gaze upon you. Just as we continue in an attitude of prayer, if you've been struggling over the last little while, maybe long while, with just feeling down and flat, lonely, miserable, all that sort of stuff, just raise your hand where you are. I got my hand up because I've struggled with this. Some of you will, will really have been going through this. If you've been struggling with it, it's not bad or wrong, just be honest. If you've felt flat and felt like, like life has been difficult, just raise your hand wherever you are. Just There's quite a few of us and there's various reasons for this. But I believe that God can meet our needs in incredible ways if we just trust him. Lord, I just pray that for those who are struggling with this this morning, Lord, that you would just minister to them, that you would wrap your arms around them, that you would love them, that you would care for them. Lord, I thank you for those in our midst who are always upbeat. They're always happy. They're always positive. But Lord, some of us struggle with this. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. Speak to our hearts, I pray. What I want to do to finish up is, is I want us to pray together. If you've been struggling with this, I'm going to, those of you who raise your hand, just raise your hand up again. I'm going to ask others around you just to gather around you, just to pray with you. Just lift your hand up and just hold it up high for a moment. So can we get up, those of you who are more excited and more positive, get up, gather around some of these folks who have their hands in the air and uh, just keep your hand up for us. Don't be embarrassed. We're, not, we're just going to pray. We're going to pray together. This little lady in here as well. Why don't we pray? This is the body ministering to the body. I'm going to ask you to, to just lay hands on them and just pray with them and just, just pray that this, this fog, this, this depression and this stuff that, that so fills our minds sometimes could be lifted. Just take a few moments and begin to pray. Pray for those people who are struggling with it. If you are someone who is very content and very positive, then you pray and rejoice where you are. Because that's, that's something worth getting excited about. That you are, you've got your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. But some of us struggle. Just take a few moments and pray.